So I'm reading today is from Exodus chapter 2 and also going into Exodus chapter 3. So Exodus chapter 2 verses 11 to 15. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And moving now to the next chapter, chapter 3 and from verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Thank you ever so much for this invitation. It's a real honour to be here on your mission month. And I really find it a real honour when I think of some of the people that you've had here for the mission times. I think of Bishop Festo Kivangiri, I think of Bishop Lewurm through them periods way back that had preached here on such days. People like George Verwer and different people. So I feel very honoured today. The question of Exodus, what I would like to ask you is this. What is it that causes your heart to burn? Not just to have a bit of a passion about, not, not just to, to have a bit of a burden, but what is it that keeps you up at night? What is it 
that makes you pray and beg and listen to the voice of God. We know the account of Moses so well. Here was a man brought up in the Pharaoh's palace. He had all what you could imagine, but he knew he was a Hebrew. His people were enslaved and they were beaten every single day and one day he decides to leave the palace and he sees the beating firsthand and it's extreme and he sees somebody getting so beaten up by an Egyptian guard that he sees the red mist descending and Moses kills the guard and he buries him in the sand. Verse 13 we're told, the very next day, still incredibly shaken up, he goes out again and he's totally thrown. The Hebrews are fighting terribly amongst themselves. Blood is being spilled. And Moses cries out, I cannot believe what you are doing. The Egyptians are beating you. Now you're fighting with each other. Moses sees his people on the edge and he's wiped out emotionally. You know what happens. Moses has to run away before he gets caught by the Egyptians and for decades he keeps sheep and he lives a normal existence apart from one thing we're told in the Bible. We're told that night after night he prayed. He begged God to let the Hebrew people go, to get out of Egypt, to go to their own land. Night after night, year after year, he prayed. And in Exodus 3, in the normality of life, he sees a burning bush. Now, I don't know about you, but a bush is a very ordinary thing. When I was in Australia, just a a year and a bit ago, we went on one of these maniac road trips right across parts of the inner of Australia. And if you've ever done it, all you see is red sand and uh, bush upon bush upon bush upon bush. And once in a while you might see an emu or something like that, but it's not often. Just bushland. And during that time, the people that were at the front that were driving said, oh, our company paid £10,000 to get this speaker. And I was thinking there in the car, thinking, well, I don't know about £10,000. I don't think I'd pay anybody £10,000 to, to hear them talk. And then I looked out the window and I saw all these bushes and I remembered what I'd been reading that morning, this very story. And I thought I'd pay £10,000 to see that burning bush. My goodness, that bush that had the presence of Almighty upon it that continued to burn and burn and didn't wither. A bush that had no bugs on it because the fire of God was on it. Oh, I'd pay £10,000 for that. Oh, yes, a bush is a very ordinary thing. How many times do we pass them every single day and we seldom look twice? They are common and insignificant. It grows with no care, no nurture. It grows unnoticed. 
And yet when God plans to do something great with the nation, he sets on fire a bush. An ordinary bush, not a rose, not an orchid or a flower, but an ordinary bush. How long had that bush been there? We're not told. The farmers and the animals had probably passed that insignificant thing many, many times. Nothing to stop for. Nothing pleasing to the eye or to the nose. I don't know why God chose that particular bush, but he sets it on fire. Now that bush has become unique. Above any bush in history, because there was a flame upon that bush. It didn't burn it, and it made it different to any other in the history of the world. That fire got the attention of God's man, Moses. And God said, Moses, take your shoes off now. You're on holy ground. You see, God had set that bush on fire and made it holy And it was very useful to God. And I know this, that God can set alight the most ordinary man or woman. God has a way of making a nobody and make a somebody out of that nobody. And he can take the ordinary and make it a great surprise to the others around themselves. You can see a person at one stage of their life and you decide, It's a hopeless, helpless case. But friends, we must be careful how we write people off because God has a wonderful way of intervening and setting the bush on fire. Be be careful, friends, on giving up on people. God may have different uses and ideas. We may be short of patience But my Bible says that God is long-suffering. When others might give up on us and write us off, God has a way of setting that common bush on fire. And the last time you saw that bush, it was an ordinary bush. Not a promising bush, just a bush. But while you slept, God set that common bush on fire. And you might say, I would have never thought it. How has that person done this or that? Well, it's because God has entered that ordinary bush and it has become holy ground. Praise God. So this ordinary bush burns, Exodus 3, 17. And from it there is the voice of God. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. What God had seen, Moses had seen also and prayed every night, and God heard him. I'm going to rescue them, Moses. Verse 310, I'm going to use you to do it. God had felt Moses' pain and anger, and it was God's pain also. And God says, I'll use your anguish on earth, and it matches my emotion in heaven. You cannot stand what I cannot stand, Moses. You want to see change? I want to see change. I'm going to harness that internal firestorm that rages in your heart and I'm going to forge leadership and metal and strength. I'm going to use you to set my people free. 
and guide them to the promised land. God's heart and Moses' heart had aligned and it wrecked both their hearts and God said, now let's together do something about this. Bishop Hannington, what wrecks your heart? It might be just that, that God is waiting for a man or woman to align his purposes with. Over this COVID period, I've got acquainted with an old missionary friend. In fact, he was quite a rascal, really. As a young boy, he showed his dad a magic trick. He used too much gunpowder and blew his thumb off. His teachers called him excitable, high-spirited and wayward. He left school to work for his dad and whatever reason, he decided to study theology. At the end of his study, the Dean of St Mary's Oxford said, what he seemed to have come for was amusement rather than study. He loved the boats more than he loved the books. Well, he was given a little parish a church in Devon, while he was preaching the reality of Jesus Christ so impacted him that it transformed his life forever. He got married and later he volunteered to go to Tanzania on a missionary trip. While trekking through Africa he got so ill that he had to be carried all the way back to the ship clinging to his life day in, day out. He finally got back to England and the doctor said he was better suited for climate and lifestyle of rural England. Well, his old dad at that time had built himself a little chapel in his garden, in the backyard. And the ministry and the missionary ministered there year after year until he recovered. But now his heart burns. He'd seen Africa and he prayed and he prayed for that country of Africa. He begged God to do something. It took him several years, but he prayed and his heart burns. Well, the Anglican Church needed someone in Africa, needed a missionary, a bishop to be Bishop of Eastern Africa. I don't know why, but the task was given to this man. Not sure the reason, but God knew that their hearts aligned and he gave it to him. And in Africa they travelled on foot. They got to Uganda and the king of Uganda was far from happy to see them. He forbade them to enter, but somehow they wandered onto the wrong territory. Was arrested And during eight days, the porters were all killed in front of him. And on the eighth day, he was terribly killed himself. Of course, I'm talking about Bishop Hannington. Here was the bishop, martyred. And in his diary, the thing he wrote was this. I have purchased the road to Uganda with my blood to open a nation up for the gospel. That's what he wrote. He died at 38, left behind him a wife and two children, oh yes. And then there was a vision and a mission to have a church that would be a sending church 
to send people around the globe for the gospel and especially to the heartland of Africa. How's it going, Bishop Annington? My old friend James Clark, he used to go swimming for us. When he was 90, he used to swim for a sponsored swim. And I always remember him sitting down and saying to me about the commissioners of the first church, Bishop Annington, when it was opened in 1938, he'd been reading about it. And he said this, that it would be a church that would be a trophy in the task of reaching the world for Christ, especially the continent of Africa. How is it going? What's burning on your heart? I was here when Bishop Lewum begged us to invest in the country of Africa. If not Africa, take Christ to the nations, he said, preaching Christ at all costs. It cost his life also. I was here when Bishop Festo Kivangiri was here, when he used that one quote that I've got in my own diary. Talk, talk, talk the gospel, he said, and send, send, send the missionaries until you have nothing more to give, until it is all invested in eternity. I have that in my diary. Bishop Annington, I ask again, how are we doing? What prompts you into action? What can't you stand? What is it that you say enough is enough? People need the gospel. People need us to take Christ to them. Where there's poverty and disaster and injustice. What can't you stand? It may cost us our lives. It may very well do that. In the New Testament, me and Wendy was reading just the other day, the Good Samaritan again. It stops being a nice little story when Jesus finishes with these staggering words. Now you go and do likewise. What's wrecking your heart? Perhaps it's that one question, apart from taking Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, it may be the second most important question of your life because it might be that that is wrecking the heart of God Almighty. And destiny awaits, my friends. The biggest tragedy of a Christian life is a waste in life. Forbid it, Lord. So what causes your heart to burn, Bishop Hannington? Have you still got that missionary passion, that passion that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Are you burdened? Are we burdened? You know, when me and Wendy said, Lord God, wherever, I never expected 30 years later to still be in Brighton Hove. We gave our lives over to God. Wherever you want us, we'll go. And surprisingly, we are still here, but we're here as missionaries. And our focus is on brighten a hoe for those that are lost. And daily, only because of Jesus, in his name, the hungry are fed, the broken are put together, the naked are clothed, the homeless are housed, the frightened are comforted, the thirsty are watered, the lonely have a friend, the voiceless have a voice. 
The lost have been found, the dark places have been enlightened, the crooked place has been straightened from the richest and most powerful to the poorest and downtrodden, know whom we serve and why. We've had the great privilege of seeing angels unaware in our workplaces. And those walking in darkness have seen the light of Jesus. Miracles take place. Lives are being placed. Lives are being changed for him. We are bringing in the kingdom and we're honoured to be allowed to be part of that. We could stop right now, sit on our laurels, 26 staff, three quarters of a million budget, but the task is far from finished, my friends. We are currently looking to buy a brand new building. It's not a brand new building, we've been in it for 10 years, but the church that owns it have said, oh, we've got to sell it because we've got to do work on our church. For 10 years that project's been running amongst the women most at risk in our community and it's now become one of them places where God is honoured. And we want to see it going for year after year, decade after decade, way beyond when we've gone. We've got the opportunity. It's a project that has just grown 42% in the last six months. Its phone system and helplines have grown 102%. So much to be done, but so much to be done in so many areas. I don't know how we're going to get it done, but God does. If people were really to hear the dreams we have for the city, they would say, well, you're mad. But they said we were mad when we planned for the first year, 23 years ago, but God has been faithful. God is still looking to launch people out. It's not a time to to hide away. God is still in the prayer answering business. Again I ask, what is the burden of your heart? What country, what people, what city, what need? Because the world is waiting for you, Christian friends. God is looking for ordinary bushes, willing to be set alight and ablaze for him to do ordinary and extraordinary things that would take the gospel into every nation for his glory. Are you available to him today to work for eternity? If you are, God is looking for you to set that fire alight and who knows how much of the world will be set alight by the people here today for the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, do appreciate each and every one of these people. Just 25 years back I stood up here and God had put a burden for those that are homeless and lost in our city and God it hasn't stopped but again I say here we are, we're available. Wherever you want us we'll go. I do pray Lord Jesus for these people that they may see the wonder of what is possible in God. 
Thank you for their heart. Thank you for their vision. Thank you for what this church stands for. And Lord God, I thank you that they're part of that great army that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Bless them. Send people out. Envision them. May they just be a place where it will be known on the earth that that church invested in eternity for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.